we have a good news. The good news for the entire church. And guess what is that good news? Well, I, well, I can hear you and thank you for that. To say that the good news is that our Lord Jesus Christ is coming soon. Amen? But before he comes, he has a message for the church. And I like to read to you that message this morning from the book of Revelation, chapter 2, verses 1 to 7. If you have your Bibles, please uh, open along with me and let us read together. <clears throat> Revelation, chapter 2, verses 1 to 7. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your deeds, your hard work and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked men, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not, and have found them false. You have persevered and have endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary. Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken your first love. Remember the height from which you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. But you have this in your favor. You hate the practices of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who ever overcomes, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. <clears throat> Father God, speak to us this morning through your word. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. There is a high climax in these verses, and that climax is, I know you. If you read the word of God properly and, uh, and read verse by verse, word by word, these are God's word. These are the words of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, who is speaking? Who is saying these words? Christ himself. There is so much in these words. So much to understand and so much to learn. It is the Lord himself telling them that he knows them. So the good news is, when we worship the Lord in the church, when we come in his presence, know these things, that he knows us. We cannot hide from him. No matter what we do, he knows us. What does he know then? What does he know? If you look at the following verses, he knows the work of the Ephesians, the church at Ephesus. He knows their work. He knows what they do. He knows their hard labors. He also knows their patience. He also knows their suffering. So the list goes on in these verses. And also he says, I know that you cannot tolerate wicked men. That's a good news. 
and that you have tested those who claim to be apostles, but are not. So, Jesus knows the church through and through. Whatever the church does today, he knows, he sees, he hears, my friends. And that terrifies us now. Now look at the next phrase, the next verse. If you break down, break down the first verses 1 to 3, it's something that Jesus is exhorting the church. Isn't that true? He's exhorting and he's saying, wow, I know you very well. And the church also was, church also was very happy because church also knew that God is related with them. So there is an exhortation, unlimited exhortation, and Jesus is so happy. But now comes the anti or anti-climax. Look at verse 4, and you'll be shocked. Yet I hold this against you. Man, that is terrible. That is shocking. Why Jesus is suddenly turning from exhortation now to warning. Very interesting. He was so happy in those verses. But now he says, uh-oh, no. I hold this one thing against you. The message this morning, my friend, is no matter what we do, no matter how much we do externally, no matter how much we try to please, if our external actions and our lives is not tuned with the Lord Jesus Christ, it's not going to please him. It's not going to help. Now there is a, as I said, there is an anticlimax. He says, I am against you. Now why is he saying that? What's the problem with the church? What was the problem? It's given there. The problem with the church was, look at the, the next verse. You have forsaken your first love. That is a great reminder to the church. The reason behind why Jesus is against the church. What does it mean against the church? Is he going to destroy the church? No, but he's going to definitely chastise us, discipline us, and bring us back on the track. And he says, you have forsaken your first love. So then, all the works that you did, the church did at Ephesus, all their suffering, all their patience, all their persecution that they have already borne, is gone, is wasted. It's no use of. Because everything is watered down here. Everything is gone. All their efforts and all their credits, they lost it. The church lost it. Isn't that terrifying? It's the strongest message to the church. Jesus loves the church, definitely. Because he died for the church. But then he also wants the church. And the church needs to come back to itself. Saying, I need to examine myself. Where have I lost my relationship with the Lord? The first love. And that's very important for us. 
Jesus is not talking about filio, love. He is not talking about eros, love, that is, love between husband and wife. He is not talking about something that is so emotional, but he is talking about the agape love. The love that is genuine, honest, the love that is divine, the love that is unconditional, the love that is long-suffering, the love that is sacrificial, and the love that is most pure and spotless. He's talking about that love. And he's reminding us that is the love the church has forsaken. We continue our activity as a church, as a body of Christ. We continue our worship. We continue our, you know, coming to the church. But there are times, my friends, that we take it for granted and there is a gap between that first love or that the, the true relationship between God and between you, yourself, or me, or God. That's the warning to the church. And that's why Jesus, say, Jesus is very strongly saying, I am against you. The demonstration of our true love to God involves our total being. We must totally surrender ourselves. Now, if you look at Mark chapter 12, verse 30, you don't have to, you can, I, I'll just read it for you. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and your strength. That is the true love. Well, the question is, how we doing that? Have the church practicing that? That's what they failed. And that's what Jesus was telling them in these verses. We don't love as the world loves, by the way. God's love is not that, you know, it's temporary and for the moment. Now, in order to practice love, what do we do? Do we have to, do, do we have to empty our mind? We don't have to. Do we have to torture our body or, or batter our body and bring it into the subjection so that we can concentrate on, concentrate on him? Does he need that? No, he has already done that for us. His body was battered on the, battered on the cross. He took all our pains. So how do we express love? You know, in this world, there are many ways people express their love to their gods and goddesses, you know. And I'm boldly saying that many of our people have taken the wrong ways to love God or to find God. And what is that? Going into the solitary place and doing kind of things in order to concentrate on him, in order to empty your mind, in order to find, you know, something that is extra, in order to, you know, do a transcendental meditation so that we can find beyond God. There are many of us, many of us, you know, doing that. God doesn't, God, God will not be pleased with that. You know why? Because he has done everything for us. What we need is our strong relationship with him. That's what matters, my friends. And our genuine love to him. He knows our hearts, right? 
He knows our hearts. So this morning, let us remind ourselves, where have we gone wrong? And let me ask first myself, Kishore, where have you gone wrong with that true love? As I said, we don't have to do all those things because our Lord is not an unknown reality. He is a reality. And if you read in the Gospel of John, beautifully describe who Christ is. The Christ, you know, presented into seven beautiful claims. He said, I am the living water. Isn't that beautiful? He also said, I am the bread of life. Wow. I am the light of the world. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the good shepherd. And then he says, I am the way and the truth and the law and the life. Then if that is the case, if Jesus is everything for us, why do we run away from him? Why do we go to the other side and try to seek him? That's where the problem lies. So what Jesus wants us, we should come back to him. We should come back to him and we should realize and re- we should re- uh, rebuild our uh, relationship uh, with him. That's the love he wants from us. If you read in First Corinthians chapter 13, beautifully express what the love is and what the love is not. And we don't have time to go into that. But the foundation for all our action and our work is the divine love. It all based on the divine love or the agape love. In India, a lot of our people, I mean, I'm talking about the non-Christians, they do a lot of good work. So every festival comes. On every festival, they will go on the streets and they will feed millions and millions. But that's just a good work. Good work cannot save us, as the Bible claims, right? What we need is faith, but faith on the living God. So our faith and our good works go together. So all that you do, and if there is no God in it, if there is no true love in it, if if there is no living God, if there is no the reality of our living God, the God of the Bible, then all our works are in vain. It was that one most important thing messed up the lives of the church at Ephesus. So God is asking us this morning, what is that one thing that is missing in your life? In fact, the title of my message is That One Thing. That one thing can cause us many things. That one thing can mess up, mess up our life. And that's exactly happened to some of the greatest characters in the Bible. And I would like to draw your attention towards three, at least three great characters that they missed the point, missed that one thing, and that caused them their lives and the kingdoms and their career. Number one. Moses. Now, if you, you know who Moses was, right? Moses, uh, let me quickly describe who Moses was. A great and mighty leader of Israel. He was called by God, my servant. 
Isn't that true? Used by God to deliver Israelites from slavery in Egypt. Number two, the only qualified person to receive the Ten Commandments. Number three, did extraordinary work and miracles with the help of the Lord. Number four, no prophet has risen in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face, who did all these miracles, signs, and wonders. Number five, no one has ever shown the mighty power or performed the awesome deeds that Moses did in the sight of Israelites. Deuteronomy 33, verses 10 to 11. But now the anticlimax, or anticlimax. All that he did, all that he prospered in, in his leadership, God now says to him, and listen here very carefully. I'm reading for you from Numbers chapter 20, verses 8 to 12. And this is what the message to this great leader of the Israelites. Verse 7 says, The Lord said to Moses, Take the staff, and you and your brother Aaron gather the assembly together. Speak to the rock before their eyes, and it will pour out its water. Verse 9, So Moses took the staff from the Lord's presence, just as he commanded him. He and Aaron gathered the assembly together in front of the rock, and Moses said to them, Listen carefully what he said to them. Listen, army, listen, you rebels. Must we bring you water out of this rock? Then Moses raised his arm and struck the rock twice with his staff. Water gushed out and community drank the water. What's the problem? He did it exactly what God told. Is that right? Oh no. What did he do? Instead of speaking to the rock, he struck the the rock twice. That was his one greatest mistake in his life. And what caused him, my friends? It caused him the promised land. What a loss. Now let's... Let, let listen what God says. Let's hear. But the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, because you did not trust, trust in me enough to honor me as a holy in the sight of Israelites, you will not bring this community into the promised land. This is God's word, my friends. And this is the warning for each one of us as the body of Christ. If we don't hear, God is going to take us into accountability. And some of, some of us might say, oh, you know, it's okay, man, we do one mistake, and, you know, there are several mistakes I do in my life. Yes, we do that. But for that one mistake, or even several, Jesus has to, had to pay his life. It wasn't easy, my friends. It wasn't easy for him. This great man did everything for his allies. He suffered. He was accused. He was even, you know, he was even criticized by his own people. And now he comes to the brink of the point of the success. And God says, no more. You're done. 
because you disobeyed me. Anger, pride, and disobedience laid him to that fall. Of course, we know the story that God still honored him, but the consequences he faced, he couldn't enter into the promised land. Second, second man was the great king of Israel. Um, that is uh, the king Saul. He was just newly appointed and he was bringing victories after victories to the Israelites, you know. And, you know, that popped him up. He became so famous. And now he faces another mighty battle. And then Samuel told him, until I come, please do not do anything, even though you are facing your enemies. And there, you know, King Saul goes so impatient. What does he do? He takes the sacrifice. He orders some of his, his friends and he says, bring the sacrifice to me. And he brings the sacrifice to him. Before, he, before Samuel comes to offer the sacrifice, he takes the, he takes the sacrifice and he offers the sac- sacrifice. What was his mistake? He was the king, but he had no authority to offer the sacrifice. He took the place of the priest, and that was his mistake. And when Samuel comes... And he sees, and he says, what have you done? God is displeased with you. You read that in First Samuel chapter 13, verses 8 to 14, and then chapter 15, verses 23 to 26. He took the place of priest and offered the sacrifice. It was a great mistake on the king's part. What is the consequences? Or what are the consequences? God says, through Samuel, God has rejected you. And you have lost the kingdom to another young man called David. He lost the kingdom. Because of that one mistake. He lost the kingdom. That's a warning for us. It's a lesson for us. Lesson for us the church. The third, and you know him as well, very well. The third man was King David, the man after God's own heart, right? God was so pleased. He was anointed when he was young, and he became a mighty warrior. He did the best for Israelites. He became so famous, and even the, the genealogy of the Lord Jesus Christ is traced from his genealogy. What an honor. But what was his problem? What did he do? All of us know that he fell in adultery, right? He made the biggest mistake of his life, my friends. And to cut short my long message, I want to, I want to tell you what consequences did David face. Number one, God said, I have taken your kingdom from you. The sword will never, never depart from your house. And secondly, your son will die. Was God joking here and trying to cover up his sins? Our God is, our God is a righteous God. His judgments are righteous. He does... He, he does 
He does not hate us, but he does wants, he does uh, chastise us and disciplines us. And at times we have to accept his discipline, accept all that he wants to do through our lives. And the good news is, my friend, David was so good, he realized. And he come back to the, come back to the Lord. He comes in his presence and he kneels down. And what does he do? What was his word? Repentance. He says, Lord, here I am. Do whatever you wish. Of course, he mourned. He took sackcloth on himself and he put ashes on himself and he was mourning. He was repenting. That was a genuine repentance. And that's the good news I would like to say this morning. We have a good news. And I'll come back to that. But then he faced the consequences and then sword never departed from his household until today. And we don't have time to elaborate on that, what that means. Today, Israelites are suffering, going through difficult times. And if you look at the Davidic kingdom and the tradition, the sword has never departed from there. Never departed from there. Let's come back to ourselves. What is that one thing in our lives that is putting a huge gap between our relationship or between individual relationship or between the church relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ? Is it our partial love? I mean, we, the partial love, we understand that. Is it our disobedience? Is it pride? Is it the stubbornness? Is it something that that widens the gap between our relationship with the Lord? You have to examine that. I have to examine that. We have to know in our heart, what is that one thing that is blocking my spiritual progress? Why I am not going, growing in the Lord? Where is the problem lies? You have to find out that. And it's not difficult. You know it. What we have to do is simply bring that one problem, one situation. There might be many, as I said, but one. There might be one or several of them. Bring them to the Lord and say, Lord, here I surrender to you. And then he takes it. But that, but that has to do with the true repentance. That has to do with the repentance. And that's what David did. He repented and God honored that. And this morning, the good news for us is that, is that, that the repentance is available to the church. And that's what he, that's what Jesus say, says in these verses. If you read, remember uh, the verse 5, remember the height from which you have fallen And then very gently he says, repent. And do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. Take it as a warning or take it as a gentle reminder from the Lord. God loves us and he proved it on the cross. But then we live in the world. We have lots of temptation. We have a lot of things that sometimes 
we just cannot get rid of. If you do it, if we do it by, by we are, with our strength, we will fail. But if we do it with the help of the Lord, we will succeed. And that's what God wants. That's what he wants from us. My friends, as I said earlier, Christ is coming. That's good news. But before he comes, here is the warning for us. We need to repent. We need to set our record right with our God. Jesus has done his part for his and for now. And now he wants our parts to play and lay it before him. I believe, in closing, I believe the Lord has spoken to us as we prepare for the Lord's table or the communion. The Lord is knocking on the door of our hearts saying, my son and my daughter, today is the day of repentance and redemption. Would you give that one thing to the Lord? Would you lay it before him and say, Lord, I have been holding this for a long time. Now I want to give it to you. And then see how the Lord will bless you.